Hey, Arturo. How's it going? Hey, Peter. I'm getting you. Um, sound is not coming through. Oh, that does because I muted it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hear yeah. Yeah. Here, you, you hear me? Yep. Oh no! Nope. Okay, give me him. one second. Oh, I know why. That's probably why. No, it's it's on me. There we go. You hear me? Ooh, okay. Then this is okay. This needs to get plugged into Nix. Give me one seat. This is why we have the pre-launch. <laughs> this gets plugged. Give me one second. Here. Sound okay, output input is in input control input level. Okay, output is control speakers. All right, can you hear us? Yes, perfect. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Wait, this is my wife, Sandra. Sandra. Hello, hello. Who's going to play? Hello, hello. This thing into yours. You hear me? This way. This thing. Audio. Mike, is this internal speaker? All right. Mic check. Hello, hello. There we go. Good, good. There yeah, we go. got it. <laughs> How do we sound on your end? Ah, uh, perfect. Cool. Yeah, it's we good. Just some equipment. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Right here. I don't know if you can you can see what Peter's got going on here. Okay, so you have whole new things. Yeah, yeah it's this is a Rodeo Roadcaster Mixer Pro. It's not Peter's first Rodeo. <laughs> Rodeo. <laughs> <clears throat> but in the meantime, I still have to command some stuff. Are we pretending oh. to be in the green screen right now? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I have to do. I have to do this. Okay. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> wow, Jeremy, you can still hear us, right? Yeah. Yes. Going down cool. on credit card debt there. What's that? <laughs> Is that shrink going down on credit card debt? <laughs> yeah, imagine. <laughs> there you go. Um, so 49. Um, I think at five, at 5, we'll do the countdown. Sure. And then I'll queue up our theme song. Eventually, it'll be here, but yeah. You know. Okay. Is, it, is there any even real point to this? Not for, for now, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just yeah. beautiful. By the next show, though, there will 100% be a point. Got it. This. Got it. Got All it. right. We, in, uh, we are live in three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome to another delicious and we are here bringing you the best thing we made. My name is Nick Larson, true entrepreneur and ambitious speech bomb. 
And my name is Peter Wang, Brand Community Manager at Intel, as well as social media guru or guy or person. <laughs> and uh, and, and we, we love demystifying commercial tech being valuable to our founders and investors and technologists in the community. It's Tuesday, February 7th. We want to do a quick shout out to a couple sponsors that we have. Uh, Arturo from Necodex, you have the floor. Yeah, thank you very much, Nick. And thank you for the heads up. Uh, we're really happy right now because we just signed a new client from the San Francisco area that they're going to have their software development team here in Mexico. They are taking advantage of having the same time zone, same cultural affinity, and an excellent talent and an excellent cost. So if anyone in the audience is looking to start or grow their software development team, they can also get in touch with me or they can look us through your website in nicodex.com. That is N-E-C-O-D-E-X.com. We are working with several companies in the area and we'll be very happy to assist anyone. So thank you very much. Awesome. Arthur, thank you so much. This is nicodex.com. They've done amazing work building digital products, be it web or mobile. Uh, for Bizinta and for Sidepock and some of the great folks as well. I um, also want to do a quick shout out for our friends at Premier Negocios who can help you get local clients. So for digital marketing, these are the folks to talk to. Talk to. Uh, their link will be in our show notes. And without any further ado, we're- oh, One more oh, thing. Oh yeah, please. Uh, everyone see this QR code over here? Like, I'm, I'm going to get so good yeah, at pointing to this right. at one point. Um, <laughs> if you want to subscribe to our newsletter, our newsletter comes out monthly, monthly monthly and it basically puts what was it puts our thoughts down on paper you'll get to hear our point of view on other things outside of tech sometimes we talk about politics maybe, sometimes, maybe. <laughs> yeah it's a saucy that's right um so Pop yeah culture be sure to check that out um and we're super jazzed today to to have uh, to have our guest uh, Maria Pinar, welcome Maria to the thank show thank you so much awesome and so Maria has a, a super impressive background of uh, both as an entrepreneur herself, and now as an angel, and also at Unicorn Growth Capital. So super cool stuff that she's doing. And so we're going to be exploring a, a little bit about uh, your background and lessons for our founders. But Maria, before we get things kicked off, you want to give a little, uh, a little bit of background on yourself? Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised in South Africa. I was uh, part of the, uh, so I studied engineering, was part of the launch team of the mo pretty much the mobile industry with uh, Vodafone in um, in South Africa, which became the model for also mobile on the continent. As a result, I got recruited to Silicon Valley in uh, 96, uh, was part of the team that launched Global Star, which was one of the pre-Starlink wow. cool. <laughs> satellite mobile services. So that was quite uh, a lot of fun and uh, was quite privileged to have been with startups with very deep pockets uh, um, and, and funding behind them, which is always great. But uh, then focusing quite a lot now on um, investments in Africa uh, through Unicorn Growth Capital. I'm an operating partner with them and be focusing on Web3 and FinTech companies in not just Africa, but emerging markets. Um, so Africa is exciting. It's quite a growth market. Um, it's a high youth type of market in all the different countries. And it's one of the most misunderstood in areas for investment and growth um, as well. So a lot of room for opportunity. So um, yeah. the, the IoT space, cybersecurity, enterprise software, it sounds like you, you've uh, 
been able to uh, span a, a number of different verticals. Yeah, I mean, I was quite fortunate uh, throughout my career that that uh, I got involved in quite a number of things. I mean, obviously, when you're in the telco mobile industry, one of the things that you look at is quite broad, um, especially when you're looking at how do you bring in partnerships that add value. So always have to look at all the different trends. Um, you know, I always say companies start running into identity crises when they try to be their product for everyone and everything. Oh, wow. I all the M words, you know, first yeah. the mobile companies wanted to be mobile entertainment companies. That didn't go too well. Then they wanted to be mobile banks. Uh, couldn't compete really with the banks, but it did stimulate a lot of wallets and, and mobile um the, I always say tongue-in-cheek, the first fintech industry was the text messaging industry. Right. So mm. I was quite a lot involved with uh, actually defining the models that especially stimulated the um, applica application-to-person uh, text messaging trends, which is wow. still a growth market. Um, yeah. So that came from Africa. But uh, just having had a that broad reach across so many different things and trends um, and how as mobile carriers you need to look at how you add value into your partnerships with disruptors um, really had me look quite broadly. Yeah, and especially when the a lot of the infrastructure was probably not built out either. How, how did you manage that? Well, that, that was... Uh, you know, quite incredible. At at Vodacom, we became the first mobile carrier that broke even in 18 months, which was unheard of at mm. the time. Um, we had really good vendors that that helped to scale um, because we had to build out a number of of um, base stations. You know, you, you've got to build out your coverage. You've got to look at your customer service. You've got to have all your billing platforms in place when you launch. Yeah. Um, so how do you scale that and make your um, operations quite efficient? Uh, so yeah, that 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 was just really good partnerships with with our vendors that that enabled us to do that. Yeah, and it, it's interesting you mentioned not being everything to everyone. Um, we've we've got a friend, uh, Payam Miasmani, who's the CEO of Unibui. In fact, he's he's been on the show before, and. Um, he was in a critical meeting with the, the Community College Organization of California, um, and and he's and they said, "Well, can you can you do this?" And he said flat out, "No." And it, I, on one level, it's it's kind of a I don't want to say aggressive because you're like defining what you do, but there's also probably a likelihood to want to um, be like, "Sure, we could do that," and then figure it out on the back end. But I think what they did is they appreciated he was just staying in his lane. Yeah. Um, it, have you had a similar scenario when talking to, to startups? Yeah. I, and, and, and one of the, um, I think, aspects that I've seen sometimes investors do is they take a startup where they have a very good focus and especially early growth stage startups. Uh, again, we, we, we're focusing on PC through Series A. Mm -hmm. So these are the early growth startups. And a lot of the time, investors want to see the real big thing happening, say, maybe four or five years down the line and start pushing these startups into new areas and new modes, which the company is still barely trying to survive and, and get product market fit with their core product, and then already starting to um, be asked to focus on different areas. I think that's just the death knell. Right. Um, because you, you just can't be focusing on multiple industries at the same time unless you have a real good core product and a platform to build from. So is 
uh, sorry to interject here then, but, but is there a is there a reason when startups should um, draw the hard line, would you say, or is, and how do you differentiate from um, just them exploring early on to see which vertical they do fit in? Look, uh, so they, they should focus on the different verticals that they fit in, which is why I always like a scouting phase, mm. but especially if they're starting uh, with the initial um, problem set. And uh, so today it's so much easier than earlier years where you can actually go and explore without really huge cost implications, just really understanding what's the, what's the problem that your customer have and how do you actually solve that. Mm. Now, what I've come across with a lot of early growth stage startups is especially the ones who love to talk about the technology first is they're mm. quite confused about where this fits in. Mm. And some of them actually can, by doing that scouting process, actually understand this is where uh, my key customers are. Customers can as well, versus <laughs> large customers, completely suck that company up and push them in different directions. Mm. So it is a bit of a balance that they need to play, but I would say just, just really stick once you start seeing that there's a specific low-hanging fruit that you can start building on top is pursue that and see how show how you can drive scale because investors want to see how you can build scale. If there's other product lines that, that then can come in and then you have larger teams, um, sales teams and technology teams that can focus on that, then that's fine to start exploring that too. But don't do it too prematurely. The right. key focus for early growth stage is to understand where they can get that product and how fast they can get to that product market fit. Right. And their domain expertise, like kind yes. of let them drive as opposed to trying to like pull the wheel in a specific direction. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the time, I mean, if the products are complementary to what they, the core of their, as I say, the identity is, then um, you can add additional value on that. If it's quite far removed, it takes a whole new team yeah. to focus on that. Well, how is how is unicorn growth uh, different from other VCs? Uh, do you, are you kind of yeah? How, how are you different? <laughs> well, I'm 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 not sure if we're so different in the model that we implement, but I I believe where we are have quite a lot of strengths with regards to the African market. Is we all come the investment team all come from the African market from both banking as well as the mobile industry. Mm -hmm. And having been serial entrepreneurs in, in fintech, I mean, one of our principles in Kenya was quite uh, key to the growth of Jumia on mm. the continent. And then all of us have also worked in large developed markets um, for large corporates, global corporates here in, in the U.S. as well. So it's that operational and on the ground understanding of the market, which I think gives us quite a good benefit on how we do due diligence. And a part of our mission is also to, to start building stronger pipeline and stronger relations with you as investors that's looking at the continent as well. Mm -hmm. and, and when you're when you're driving innovation, um, because you, you do have this impressive background in, in the enterprise space, but you're also working quite a bit with, with uh, early stage startups, do you, which, which side do you see 
driving more value towards from an innovation perspective? And what are you learning from each respective side? Well, I, I would say both. And I want to go back to the mobile industry. Mm-hmm. If you look at the number of startups the mobile industry has stimulated, I don't think in our wildest dreams when we started the mobile industry in Africa, we would have ever dreamt about just the plethora of companies that, that came from that. So... Um, If you have a platform like a mobile carrier, now a mobile carrier has a couple of things. It can count bits and bobs Mm -hmm. (laughs) to billing at scale. Mm -hmm. Um, It it has huge distribution. I mean, just the way that we implemented prepaid and established that distribution channel that you can actually go, you're two people removed from being able to buy airtime anywhere in Africa. Um, So if you as a startup understand how to leverage that platform, I mean, when we look look at the text messaging, especially the application-to-person type of uh, text messaging applications, the first thing we did was set up a model of tiered pricing and revenue share with a very simple API. The onboarding process was very simple for companies to get through the approval process and to start offering new services using text messaging in the initial phases. And that then just obviously built from all the other types of services that that the um, mobile carriers enabled. I mean, we look at um, Safaricom as well with Mm -hmm. with the um, mobile money. They're one of the leaders in that. Um, Is is that a competitor to Flutterwave by chance? Uh, no, Safaricom is one of the partners of Flutterway. Oh, so, okay. um, but again, they enabled a lot of the customers, mobile customers, to get access to um, their mobile money products. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, the payment gateways, the way um, Flutterway built the infrastructure, which a lot of third parties use, but they partner with a lot of the mobile carriers as well. Oh, I see. I see. So, it's really understanding when you're looking at building large-scale distribution on who are those large partners who enable you to reach huge, large audiences. Yeah, growing quickly. Um, and, and banks the same, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so on your on your LinkedIn, it says, uh, it says scout, uh, integrate, uh, launch. Sorry, yes. scale. Uh, launch. Yeah. Launch, launch. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about the scouting piece. Uh, help us understand the, the last two components and how those fit in. Yes. So when it comes to integrate, um, you know, it's it's always, <laughs> I would say, especially if you use large corporates um, to scale through like a mobile carrier or a bank, it's always the round hole in a square peg and vice yeah. versa dilemma yeah. that you sit with. Um, a lot of the large companies that, that can enable huge distribution of insure tech, you're looking at insurance companies, they have a lot of legacy IT stacks and they have a lot of priorities with regards to um, how they can integrate new disruptors. Mm-hmm. And they may not have all the APIs exposed. So the more that the company can as I say, this large company could be the square peg and the <laughs> startup can be the round hole. The, the more the round hole can pretend to look like the square peg <laughs> and do all the heavy lifting on their side, that's how you start jumping through the IT prioritization yeah. to be able to launch the products. I, these- I assumed it was more cultural than technical, the big challenges. Um, uh, for me, it's more the, the technical challenges. It could be cultural as well. 
Um, I mean, in a way, sometimes you have the cultural clash between the technology teams and the marketing sure, teams, sure. right? Security and whatnot. Security yeah. and whatnot. So um, definitely, and that's part of the discovery phase, especially when you're looking at as a startup with these large distribution channels like mobile carriers mm. or or banks, is understand where the friction points lie and how you can actually bypass that. And And that whole integration means look at your whole value chain of how you integrate with that distribution channel and how do you take out the friction and not wait for I that see. large company to to take those frictions. So it's out. like proactive knowledge management. P Peter, do you have any insight into how Intel approaches uh, uh, leveraging smaller technologies or, or younger companies into, into their stack? Um, I know that, so, not particularly actually because we have we don't have a good track record of working with startups mm. just because um when you know intel has been around for such a long time and working with uh, like early stage companies always there's always a risk mm. um especially if they're dealing with company data um if you know there's no guarantee that this company that we're working we're going to be working with will be around for let's say like 20 30 years sure. so is the data that that intel is going to be um, dealing with going to be safe for right. that long. So that's a good point. Um, when I, um, I actually can have experience with this because when we would look into working with, uh, like for example, influencer marketing agencies, they apparently they have to apply uh, to be uh, in the Intel preferred vendor. Okay. And once they get in, though, Intel only works with them. Got it. So when it's almost like a uh, so they like can't a, take additional capital kind of a thing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Have you seen something similar, Maria, from a corporate venture capital perspective? Yeah, I've seen similar models. Um, yeah. I think it's all over the world. Sure. Uh, you know, my preference is more the work with the companies that have a open innovation platform. Um, I mean, I've, I've done quite a bit of uh, corporate innovation um, consulting as well around open innovation models where how do you get larger companies to have a sandbox environment so that you can basically pilot with, with, with more of the disruptors out there. But the picture can, can, can we double click on that and, sure. and help us understand like what that means that the sandbox, how do you get them on board? Yeah. Um so give you an example when um I uh, established a corporate venture um uh in South Africa where we were looking at how to also help accelerate through the large enterprise customers of of this corporate oh, and, revenue really quickly yeah cool. because i mean this corporate came with i don't know all the large enterprises which were their customers mm. but how do you bring startups in that add value to the core business that adds value to the enterprise customers so, so like a tricky puzzle yeah so, so it's we, almost like if a if, if the original company can't solve the problem, is there a startup that does it and we're able to white label? Yes, because as mm -hmm. I say, you can't you can't be the be all and end all of anything. So and, and remember there's always two sides of a corporate. So these the supply chain side where you mm -hmm. be, your technology platform becomes part of the core technology platform of the company. Yeah, right, and the right. other part is obviously being a partner mm -hmm. where your technology gets integrated in adding value to what that business That sounds has. actually very familiar because I mean, that's kind of, that is, this is exactly what Intel does yeah. in a way. And, and so, um, and so basically is, is, is when you're looking at sandboxing and what would add value 
Um, it's how do you set up the structures which makes it easier for the business units to also then take that and add value to their specific product lines. Like specifically the developer community, like it's one of the reasons Slack has had so much success, I yes. think. And, and, and same with Salesforce as well. Right, and right. Uh, early on with Nokia Symbian, you know, the Symbian developer community, that was the oh, first yeah. Yeah, yeah. open open. Platform. So it sounds like going in, uh, invigorating a community to help basically be a, be a brand advocate for you by empowering them to play around with, oh, I get it, like in Sandbox. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, 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 and the Sandbox is really the testing environment to pilot some of the ideas. Mm -hmm. And I've even seen large energy companies, like here you talk about, if you do a pilot, it's yeah. large nuts and bolts type systems and that this, needs to be done, right? This um, big reminds me of actually Microsoft in their product Unity. Because yeah. Unity is a, um, they, it's a graphics, or graphics rendering sure. software, people use it, they make video games, they make uh, metaverse products, all of that uh, is essentially built on top of, what was it, like Unreal, is it, or is that a competitor? No, uh, Unreal's a competitor. Yeah. Um, the, the, all of that is built on top of either their data service or yeah. someone else's. Right. Um, but speaking of video games, actually, Jessica asked, wanted, wanted to know, are there video game offer walls to leverage in Africa? Um, yeah, a lot of it is through the mobile carriers. So I know Safaricom, Vodafone, um, MTN has uh, offer um, basically paywalls also for games. So they have their own portals that they've mm. set up as well um, for this. I know, especially in the VR and AR space, there's a lot of new portals that's, that's being established. But as I say, that's the one thing mobile carriers do exceptionally well is able to bill and collect money. Yeah. <laughs> so, especially if it's prepaid, right? Um, so the revenue share models have have been established, uh, uh, you know, even way before Apple when they started with the Apple stores and, and sure. the Symbian Play stores. Uh, and, and speaking of which, Apple's kind of potentially under some hot water because their app store takes like thirty percent. Speaking of, and back to video games. You mentioned that the model is changing a little bit. We we're talking about this earlier. Do you yeah, want to we definitely to that real quickly. Um, we were actually having this uh, talk where I was talking about a gr my gripe. I I still play video games. I love it, and I've noticed. There the lips. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll do that later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, when I was growing up, I've noticed that video games were focusing a lot on story. Nowadays, because of companies like Zynga, because of companies uh, because of like companies like Steam, like Microsoft, they the model is almost uh, flipped, kind of flipped around. Instead of paying up front for the game, you it's free to download, but eventually um, you they coinify or they gamify certain features within the game. Um, have you seen that model like working really like Ang Angry Birds? Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> I was just telling Nick, I was uh. You know, I had also the privilege to be part of the uh, Finnish Innovation Center that we established, which was all about how do we do different accelerator models to establish Finnish companies globally, and we were focusing on the U.S. market. So, yeah, that was uh, one of our first cohort in this new acceleration program was uh, Rovio Mobile. Oh, very cool. And uh, they are just killing it. Angry Birds. So yeah, can remember yeah, when it was mm -hmm. a blink in the <laughs> eyes, and uh, and again the. We use the scouting principle to really have lots of conversation with the studios and, and other distribution channel partners 
because they wanted to Hollywoodize games mm. so that these additional things that they could sell through either through the game or outside the game, yeah. i.e. the movies. Mm -hmm. um, so it was that scouting and three months, four months immersion in, in back and forth meetings that helped hone the model for them, which they said, this is the model that we're going for. And the rest is history. Right? <laughs> so they were the first ones that started doing these, let's just say, tokenization of, mm -hmm. of specific features as well within the app. Right. And there's a follow-up question from Jessica as well. Uh, are there other tactics you recommend for overseas companies to leverage? Um, tactics with regards to market entry, or can you just expand, Jessica? <laughs> yes, that's a good question. Um, maybe let's, we'll let's start with market entry. Sure. Yeah. So market entry for me is, um, you know, whether whether you entering a market in your own home country or, or a, a, another country is just go spend some time in the market, engage with the ecosystem, engage with, understand the potential visa and legal requirements that you will need to establish a team there, understand your tax and regulatory environment. So engage with um, experts in that space, um, engage with potential customers, but not pitching them on what you're looking at doing, understanding how they solve the problem that you are solving. Because that always opens up a conversation of, okay, how do you guys solve the same problem? This is what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. And always, always ask how they, um, especially if these are corporate and large enterprise customers, is what are their budget cycles and how that works? That's one question a lot of startups <laughs> tend to miss. Um, because you can, by doing that, you quickly can understand how do you get to market, what's the sales, What's the team that you need to establish in that market in order to grand scale? And also, what's the support team that you need to establish and grow back at your headquarters that will make team, that team successful? Mm. I can also imagine um, the ha certain habits of, the, of your end consumer as well. Uh, go a good example is that in um, here in, in the US, I am Intel and other other uh, fairly old companies are actually doing pretty well in, yeah. on new platforms like TikTok because they've got people like you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Granted, if you're able to craft a message that's, that hits well enough. Yeah. However, in China, um, if Intel were to advertise on Douyin or like Chinese TikTok, that would be brand suicide because the, um, the China is still fairly, I guess, their society is fairly hierarchical in the sense that yeah. like certain media are for certain brands. Intel is a is a considered a high level brand there. Yeah. It has no business doing. So, like, so we're a little bit more progressive in that capacity. Would yeah. You say, or, Actually, I, I would or, say so. I would. I definitely uh, like the idea. Me personally, I like the idea of being in every like. Like having my pick of like certain platforms, yeah. I definitely don't like the idea of being constra constrained by mm -hmm. societal pressures sure. to well, sure. not use a certain app. In some markets, you do need to understand the cultural nuances yes. as well. Like you know, Africa, a lot of people think, oh, it's this one big com continent, 1.3, 1.4 billion people. It's youth, most 55% most countries is below the age of 28. So, um, but there's huge differences in how you do business in the mm. different markets. So you've got to understand that. Now, obviously, one of the some of the exceptions are some of the SaaS 
based companies, mm. i.e. like Netflix where you pay by credit card. But yeah. again, if you can't pay. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so you're telling me that the, how they do business in Egypt is wildly different than South Africa. Oh, Shut huge, up. huge, hugely, <laughs> right. There's, there's, uh, there's different uh, aspects of things. So uh, like I think that one that, included. Yeah. Right? I think the one, you know, and again, you have to remember as well, in South Africa, we sit with 11 official languages. And, and I can remember when I was a CIO for one of the mobile carriers there, we were having a bit of a problem. And, and this is also an important thing. You've got to understand language and define the terms. Mm. So we had a specific problem with the delivery of, of a software um, development that was supposed to be done. And the day came and it was not the right thing. And uh, I just sat there, went around the table and said, but what did each one of you, because I sat with, all 11 of the local languages, people in different cultures, uh, Mandarin and Hindi mm. and Urdu. So I had 14 different language cultures there wow. around the table yeah. in this engineering team. And they forgot the pro pro project manager or program manager forgot to define the terms that everyone understood what the term meant even from their cultural perspective. Oh, no. That's kind of ironic because like defining the terms feels like one of the very first things you do. <laughs> like if you if we can't agree on terms, how can we agree on anything else, right? Yes, mm -hmm. and what's the definition? But you will be surprised how many times that gets uh, missed because <laughs> when you develop, you develop it from your language context. And and it's something that I, I couldn't impress more on, on companies who deal with diverse uh, and diverse language teams and cultures, uh, you know, make make sure you keep the language simple and everyone understand blue means that's <laughs> not something else. <laughs> so, so we covered the scout. Uh, we also covered the um, the integrate. Yeah. Uh, tell us more about the launch component. So the launch component for me is really that now you can really open the tabs and mm. uh, um, really launch. Um, Obviously, in some cases, you need to make sure that your platform can scale with all the load that you may want to put at it. So um, hopefully the foundation of the platform is, is quite good. But then just to give you some example, I, I my recent trip to South Africa, I was chatting to a new um, a large insurance company and they've got a corporate VC which is now focusing on an open innovation mm. model, right? And they started working with one startup, which is in the KYC business side, an aspect for onboarding. Of oh, what's digital, KYC? Uh, know your customer. So oh, anything KYC, in, in uh, financial transactions, there's a regulation globally about know your customer. It's part of the anti-money laundering. Mm. So when you digitally onboard someone that you know it's Maria, you need to vet that person in a certain way. And this... Um, after integration into this company, when they pulled that switch, they immediately had a hundred thousand customers thrown at them. Wow! So that's that the, sounds daunting, but also like really exciting. Like a good yeah. problem to have. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. So yeah, when when you're looking at that launch phase, is there's a couple of check boxes that you need to ensure that are there. Is is can you throw with scale if you start opening up your leads generation can your team handle it because right. some things may break right yeah. how fast can they then execute on that if you go through these large you know especially the carriers and you start marketing campaigns they to millions of customers 
um, can you handle the load? So you probably have quite a bit of experience in being able to distinguish between uh, hype and a legitimate sustainable business Hype model. and trend. Hype and trend, yeah, that sounds a lot catchier. I like that. <laughs> so tell us about ChatGPT and blockchain. What What's uh, what's on the blockchain? That's so 2010. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it may be 2010, but it's huge. Yeah. I mean, some technologies just take, well, technologies take a long time and trends take a long time to evolve 20, 30 years, right? It may mm -hmm. have started in 2010, but I mean, now if we're looking at the different types of blockchain protocols available, um, I think there's 19 last time I counted. Um, there's, there's a lot of different aspects that it enables now around supply chain management, smart contract, we're seeing a lot around that. AR, VR, right? The metaverse mm. wasn't just born a couple years back mm. when Facebook said we're doing this metaverse thing. Uh, there was a metaverse called Second Life in 2000. Oh, I remember I used to buy Bitcoins on there. <laughs> 2006, 2007. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, which they didn't have the technology we have now to really scale, but there's a lot of learnings from that right. that can now be implied in the different metaverses. Mm -hmm. um, so when we did the Finnish Innovation Center, we always looked at what's the trends that's coming down the line and look at how we use government funding to stimulate new research and entrepreneurship in those trends. So for me, when you're looking at the trend, the hype would be, oh, you know, IoT. Sure. Another yeah. hype. Oh, 5G is another Edge hype. Whatever. Blockchain, and now yeah. it's AI. Everything is AI. So a lot of the time as an investor, when you sit there, you have startups who think that when they throw these buzzwords at you. <laughs> Buzzword bingo. To invest the hype, right? And you get a lot of the follow on of the fear of missing out investment as mm -hmm. well. Um, so for me, it's just really understanding how those trends would apply and hopefully as much as you, you can look in the glass bowl and see when that may mature. But a lot of the, I mean, blockchain is still um, on, on the huge uh, development side and we are starting to see huge traction now, especially in the more reasonable yeah. applications versus you, crypto. Hype. Right. You mentioned the uh, supply chain management. In fact, uh, um, Unity Central, which is on, on the chief revenue officer, we recently closed Meta as a customer yeah. in managing their supply chain uh, oh, yeah. Congratulations. process. Yeah, pretty exciting. It was yeah. like a week before Christmas, so it was Wonderful. a nice little. Uh, and the whole thing is like, <laughs> have you tried the the, uh, the, the the goggles by chance, the Oculus? The, oh, the new one. Yeah, well, I think they've had a couple. There's a plus two. Yeah. Yeah. And so essentially, you know, to make impressive. a long story short, it, when when Meta or Facebook wanted to do an inventory check, it, they had to it was like write something down and check with somebody and it would come back like you know four or five days later, pretty siloed. So blockchain is like a pretty great application there, especially when it comes to uh, ESG compliance, which is obviously pretty important too. Yeah. Um, so so what are the triggers for this irrational exuberance of, of hype, or what do you what have you seen in the past? Well, I mean, crypto. <laughs> go back to that, yeah. right? Everyone <laughs> tried to do crypto and crypto coins, and then they, they were the ICOs yeah. for investment in companies. Just like right? a fast track to jail fast, time fast in, track. in some cases. Well, yeah. not just fast track to jail time. I, I mean, when you look at some of the fast. independent point offerings from an investment perspective, oh. uh, it, it was just really. <laughs> 
crazy where companies expected you to invest in a coin and there's no proper valuation metrics or anything behind that. So, or um, oversight. So, so, so are you saying Dogecoin's not a good idea? It might be the, out, the outlier just because, like, the, you know, the brand sway that Moscow's, kind of, you know. There, there might be someday a good use for Dogecoin. Um, <laughs> but but we're not holding our breath. But we're not, we're not holding our breath. Um, so it, it's really, is, uh, for me, is I always like to look at the sustainability a company can build and how they use the trend and not start falling into the hype. What, what does that mean, building sustainability, operationally or roadmap? Or it's operationally, um, how do you scale your team? Um, how do you determine product market fit? What's the traction that you're building? Can you hit your metrics? Um, I, you know, coming back to hype a bit. Yeah. Uh, when was the dot com dot bomb? Right. <laughs> it was right. what yeah. in nineteen nineties, um, where everyone was like, "Oh, the new economy is all about eyeball eco yeah. economy," Pets. and everyone com. went pets dot com. <laughs> everyone went down that route, and there was no basic foundation for a lot of those companies to how they generate revenues. Right. Um, so thank heavens it started after the dot com dot bomb started going sure. back in crypto in a way stimulated that especially from investment in a fear of missing out in a lot of the exchanges and we know where that ended up um, yeah exactly so um but what excites me still about some of the trends is uh you know is we, and around ai as well with chat gpt it's amazing to see where the um natural language programming AI has has actually gone to and, and my mind boggles on all the good uses for it. Yeah, like yeah. Like, like legally. Uh, I heard a, a judge just this week had, had cited ChatGPT for a court ruling, which is pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah. Go ahead. And it's then how do you apply that as a tool? Technology is neutral. It either will be used for good or for mm -hmm. bad because you're dealing with humans that yeah, and the nature of humans that's utilizing it, you know. And yeah, it's uh oh, like a pen, it's like a pen doesn't write your essay, a knife doesn't stab it, and you're right, it's the right, person right. behind yeah. it. Yeah, and, and and that's why I say it's even even with you when you look at text messaging, right? It, it stimulated so much good things from it, but then there were a whole bunch of you know, in Africa I always joke and say there's three types of entrepreneurs. There's the entrepreneur, then there's the ten dripreneur. Now this is the third-party grifter in government supply chain. Is that like a entrepreneur? Is that something different? <laughs> and then there's a social fraudrepreneur. Oh, wow. Right. And the social fraudrepreneurs are the ones who's been dealing, you know, the Nigerian diamond scams, all mm -hmm. those things, social dating scams who look at how they can apply social engineering to steal money from people. And it's all of them use the same technology base. Yeah. Social media has done all good. Sure. And it's done bad. So yeah. same with ChatGPT. There's a lot of great uses for it, and yeah. there is a lot of bad uses for it. So how do we as founders and investors help with the ethics in that will ensure that these amazing technologies, the human mind can't even comprehend. They're used for, yeah. used for good. Make sure um, people don't ruin it for us. Right? It can, can be used for yeah. good, yeah. Yeah, I remember, I, I don't recall who the dictator was, uh, I want to say it was Gaddafi, um, but uh, he he had said that Twitter was the biggest threat to to despots like everywhere. Obviously, like there's a lot of goofy stuff that happens on Twitter too, 
but speaking of useful technology, we've got uh, Dr. Amos here. So Dr. Amos is a neuroscientist. We're going to have him come and pitch to Maria uh, real briefly here. So Dr. Amos, can you hear us okay? Paging Dr. Amos, I think we need to. Oh, he, um, oh you he, need to unmute the mic. Yeah, he's kind of muted right now. Okay. Video is <laughs> yeah, well, we'll wait for uh, for Dr. Amy. Oh, hey, there we, here we go. go. Hello, hello, <laughs> uh, you're still on mute. Yes, yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Loud yes, and clear. Loud and clear. Thank you. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Yep, all right, perfect. Thank you, Nick. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much, and um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's an honor to be here with you um on the show as always uh and also um uh i i don't know how to pronounce your your last name can you help me out Pinar. Pinar. <laughs> am i saying it right Kinoa? Pinar. all right <laughs> uh, thank you very much for for the insight um so i'm a physician by training uh i'm a neurosurgeon I've practiced for almost 25 years, and during that time, I've been personally challenged by our outdated technology platform uh, for coordinating patient care, and uh, I became involved with uh, MedMatch Network as the CEO and founder, um, and our mission, our goal has been to create um, an electronic uh, cloud-based platform to help facilitate patient referral management uh, and most importantly, uh, secure information exchange. Um, so that's what we're building uh, at this time. Um, we have certainly faced some challenges and listening to you, uh, it resonates very well. We will be considered early startup, but um, that's pretty much where we are. Where we're looking to go, what we've done so far is build a SaaS platform, and we're integrating that with um, a patient-facing application. In essence, to create uh, a buzzword Web3 experience for the patient, uh, this is where technology is going, this is where policy is going, and this is where economics is going. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. How much are you raising? Uh, and, uh, and Maria, any any follow-up questions as an investor? Yeah, I mean, so uh, would be good to understand a little bit more about what's the problem you solve for whom. So who is your customer? Yes. And 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 what's the problem? Right. So the problem is outdated technology, which leads to uh, inefficiencies in. Uh, patient uh, management, uh, electronic management. So we're still using the fax machine, uh, the phone to coordinate patient care. Uh, we now have electronic health records. Uh, almost every doctor has it now, but they don't communicate. So which makes it even harder. So we have fragmented records uh, and leads to a very inefficient, expensive, costly process. Uh, patients are frustrated. Providers are frustrated. So our customers, uh, uh, foremost, the providers and ancillary service providers, um, such as labs, custodial services, but the patients benefit, and patients are our customers as well. 
Okay. And so what, what would be good to do? Because, I mean, these days, literally, when you need to try and grab the attention of investors, um, I think Doxing did some statistics. That when, when they browse through a pitch deck, they spend about, on average, a minute, 20 seconds mm. on that deck making up their mind whether they may want to engage with you or not. Um, so the more you can quantify the size of the problem and the impact it has for your key customer, um, you know, that helps us understand that you really understand the, the dynamics of the problem that you, you're dealing with. So um, I can understand that it's old technology people are using, but why are they not using something else? Mm. Is it because it's totally missing or there's a problem with adoption or um, so? So just help paint that picture a little bit um, better. Absolutely. So traditionally, uh, medicine is a very traditional and conservative uh, uh, profession. Uh, in general, uh, doctors are slow to adopt technology. That's a fact as a physician for 25 years. So that's some of the problem that we face. Um, but also we're dealing with sensitive information, uh, patient privacy and these type of things. Also, you know, people are very cautious about embracing technology that may uh, lead to a uh, breach of privacy or data. So some of, those are some of the challenges in the field in general. Yeah. Uh, that said, as we progress with technology and um, security, et cetera, it's, it's becoming much easier to be able to establish this type of platform and do it securely to overcome the fears. And, and, and when you say you're using Web3, what aspects of Web3 technologies are you using to solve the problem? Well, we really are empowering the patient um, to own their data. So as in Web3, where we're decentralizing um, uh, data, if you will, uh, for a long time, the big giants of Cerna, uh, Allscript, and eClinical, however, these electronic health records, uh, there's now legislation allowing companies like us to have third-party APIs to help facilitate the portability of those records. So by allowing the patients to control their data, they, you now open the gate for them to start creating their own marketplace, if you will, and to be able to invite um, the, the, the providers in. Okay. And is, is it some type of distributed ledger technology? Um, as of now, we haven't really uh, uh, gone into, gone from an RDS type uh, platform to a true Web3 technology. But that's the concept. The concept is to decentralize the uh, health records, and there are uh, standards for uh, for uh, storing that data. And so we will make the leap from there to um, some type of. We will decide what we want to use, but what's most feasible. But the Web three concept can be done right now just on serverless systems, uh, right. RDS based. Dr. Amos, where can folks learn more if they're interested? Absolutely. Medmatchnetwork.com. Medmatchnetwork.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank really you. Appreciate you. You hopping on here. And uh, next, we've got Serge Amazu, who is in the fintech space. Serge, welcome Hi, Serge. to Zombies. Hey, Serge. Thanks for 
Hello. What's up, Nick? Hey, Maria. Uh, hey, Peter. Great. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for what you've shared uh, earlier. Cool. So, what are you building, and and uh, and what's next? Yeah, absolutely. So, our company is Datatrix. Uh, we essentially transform accountants from data crunchers to automation experts uh, when serving their customers. Uh, and so data trick ultimately for accounting firm uh, is uh, the, the central hub to automate the generation of analytical reviews uh, and collaborate to improve margins. Great. And how much are you raising at the moment? Uh, yes, we are. Uh, we're fundraising $2 million. Uh, one of our customers has actually uh, invested $500,000 into the company. Uh, we're at $830,000 right now uh, in, in our fund rates. Oh, wonderful. And there's some pretty neat progress with the MasterCard the partnership, if, if I'm not mistaken. Sir, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's right. So we, we do, we're a MasterCard Star Path company, uh, and uh, we have a distribution uh, with, you know, with MasterCard, which is allowing us to roll out to thousands of customers um, uh, this quarter. Uh, and so it's a wonderful partnership for us um, uh, that we could, you know, I mean, we're a Starpath company. So this this is, this goes a long way for us uh, as we work with accounting firm and financial service firms. And and uh, how what, what's the type of traction that you've had so far in the market? Yeah, so we're at 53K ARR right now. Um, uh, so, yeah, we, you know, we have accounting software, uh, accounting firm using our software. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're generating revenue. And who are some of your competitors? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we thought companies like Finmark, Pride Financial, uh, Abacom are, are, you know, were our competitors. Uh, but with the automation that we offer our customers, uh, you know, this actually makes us stand out. Uh, and, and this is actually according to our customers, uh, where they're coming to us because uh, of the automation that we offer them, really helping them save time at the end of the month. Uh, we're, sh we're sharing those analytical reviews with their customers um, because what's happening right now is, you know, they're they're having to allocate additional time at the end of the month just to create analytical reviews for their customers. And what does that involve? They're in spreadsheets, copying and pasting, creating charts, uh, you know, you name it, the things that accountants do. Uh, but with data tricks, they go in there with a few clicks you know, they automate a lot of those functions uh, that they can quickly share with their customers, uh, thereby saving them, you know, tremendous amount of time. So, you know, right now they're losing uh, almost $9,000 per uh, uh, senior accountant uh, time on a monthly basis. So, um, uh, you know, this makes us differ from, from the competition according to our, our, our own customers. Well, it would be nice if you lead with that on the cost. <laughs> Like so, something to really grab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, again, um, the mistake a lot of um, founders make or entrepreneurs make when they pitch is, is they get into the tech aspects and the product aspect. And the investors are really interested in, as I say, what's the impact of the problem for whom. Um, so, yeah, you, I mean, you've got the data right there and you can, I mean, you've got customers so you can use those data points. So use them up front. Uh, because that immediately tells me, hang on, this this is a, a a good problem out there, and what's the market size that you're looking at? And then it's great to talk about your revenues where you are. And so then I got a question about that because you, you must have seen just thousands of pitches. What is the best 
first like 20 to 30 seconds look when you're getting pitched? What do you want to see as an investor? I, I want to see the value proposition, the clear value proposition. So okay. the clear value proposition always includes um, the, the problem that you're solving for whom and oh. obviously the scale of the problem because I want to invest in large problems. Sure. Right. Hence the unicorn growth. Hence, <laughs> hence the unicorn yeah. growth, right? Um, so, yeah, hopefully we can grow a number of unicorns and, and camels. So the, the, so the clear value proposition, and this is something very hard to really um, tell what the story is there. And then obviously I want to see what's the traction and what's the roadmap, um, some of the financials and clear competition. How do you differentiate from the competition? And then what's the ask and how are you going to use that money? But where a lot of companies miss it, they spend too much time on the product. And right hardly any time on the business. So I say, start loving your business. Yes, love your product, but when you talk to investors, love your business more than you love the product mm -hmm. and only spend very little time on, on the product. Just, just describe it sufficient so we know how it works, but really what's the benefit to your customers and, and how do you plan on scaling the number of customers from where you are? And just a little bit of your roadmap. Yeah, so do you wanna, so you wanna cover that in 30 seconds, ready? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like what, I, what I'm missing here is the roadmap uh, uh, on top of that. So just to add that very quickly, uh, we're we're in the next six months. We're we're going to be focused on our tax analysis as well uh, for um, accounting firms. This is also a function that they oftentimes have to do. And so what does that mean? It means that we want to, you know, essentially forecasting the tax position for the customers, uh, which is something that uh, equally takes them time to figure out, to determine how much the customers need to save uh, ahead of time uh, before tax season. Uh, so that's part of the roadmap. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of milestone, the goal of this fundraising um, is to um, achieve two million, a little bit over $2 million uh, ARR this year um, that, that we're projecting. Uh, and again, we're already, you know, we're 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 at 53k right now. We're we're expecting another 200k from uh, another financial institution, another 100k from uh, another firm that we're currently negotiating contracts. So we're we're already really uh, on the way towards those goals and and, and pushing uh, very hard uh, towards those uh, uh, metrics and milestones. Cool, okay. awesome. Thank and you. when and when there's um, just a couple of other aspects. So when you have key customers and brand logos, use them. <laughs> when you talk to investors she cried. and uh, especially early growth we bank more on team and the capability of the team so it would be good to talk about your founding team and the experience that you bring to the table that will make you successful yeah absolutely uh, i'm a serial entrepreneur uh i'm actually a software engineer as well um so um yeah uh, i yeah fortunately i actually sold one of my first businesses at the age of 16 uh i'm sorry the age of 21 started at 16. wow um, and uh our yeah uh, thank you uh, and our um engineering lead uh, was ex meta so incredible really talented team um and then our prior designer so there's actually three of us right now um and our prior designer is former uh, ex, you know, ex Mubert and and Jamie, so incredible, uh, incredible, you know, really talented team uh, with a strong vision and passion. So, so Serge, if if uh, folks want to learn more, where can uh, where can they check that out? Yeah, they can go to datatricks.com. Uh, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Serge. Really appreciate you having a uh, having shown a little bit about what you're what you're building. Um, so we've got a few minutes left, Maria. 
And uh, I guess before we, we jump into conscious conversations, are there any other uh, last minute nuggets of wisdom uh, that you could share with our founders uh, that are in the audience here? Yeah, I, I, I would say stay true to your dream and vision. Um, sometimes people may want to push you off it, but if you really show the passion for that, stay true to it um, and don't get distracted by too many other things. And uh, just, um, you know, when I look at innovation and especially open innovation, it's how you enable conversation. So that goes for your internal team as well, because a lot of the time they have a lot of good ideas and knowledge, but the voices never came in. So therefore become the scout and discoverer, even in your own company. Uh, I like that. It's, yeah. it's almost like uh, um, making sure everybody has a voice. Yeah, and, and, and a good a good way to pull those insights out is what we would say play an and game, right? Mm -hmm. When you start especially uh, ideas, um, ideating around certain things is enable the guys to say, all right, what I like to say about this idea, then maybe pass it over to Nick, and then Nicky would say, this is the part I really love, and this is what yeah, I like. It's to like yes improv, right? Yeah, it's like yes and. Yeah, we, we so, hate doing yes that. And, so, <laughs> yes, so, so do do that. It helps bring inspire the, the team. At that stage, you don't critique any of the ideas, right. and uh, you'll be amazed at how you can drive either operational efficiencies or solve real problems um, that that you don't even know where that may take you. As a the, the crazier, the better. The crazier, ideas. the better. And, yeah. and a lot of the time when you start on a certain track out there, um, you know, a lot of the times we can't predict where it will go. Yeah. <laughs> so just um, enjoy doing what you do. Enjoy the ride. Um, cool. And then so for conscious conversations, uh, which kind of reels us back to the human away from the technical, uh, we're gonna have Peter. Hopefully, uh, not the fifty-year vision. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could take a second. Um, hit stand. <laughs> different game. Different game. <laughs> Go fish. All right. So, wow. Well, let's 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 have her choose. No. Oh, okay. Is well, that cool. Exactly. Shuffle again. Exactly. Right. Let's go for the fifty-year plan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, cool. What is the worst job you've ever had? <laughs> the worst job you've ever can you want to put that up on the yeah, yeah, screen? Right also, now. for anybody in the audience that wants to wants to tune in or chime in, rather, feel free to feel free to do so. Um, would you like to to kick us off on the worst job that you've ever had, Maria? Yes, uh, uh, I was uh, hired as a consultant um, again in the early nineties, where we were looking at tasks to launch. Nitrider and CompuServe in South Africa, but this was with a research government organization. CompuServe, as in the CompuServe, as in the CompuServe. You know when you had dial-up modems and stuff. I remember that. That's the '90s company. Like this. Yeah, when when we had to code very very sparingly and ones and zeros. Yeah, back in the day when binary was a thing. Yeah, so. The thing is, they hired all these consultants and we literally had nothing to do because it was more just a research grant this company had yeah. versus us doing a job. And the worst, worst thing is you get hired to provide consulting services and strategies and um, your opinions don't matter. Wow. So that didn't last long. Well, yeah, I can imagine. They hired you as a consultant, but they wouldn't 
listen they, to your they have, have you had 12 consultants and they to really help listen this. to their consultation no. well wow. <laughs> uh, it sounds like super inefficient um <laughs> peter same question um back in the day i sold car wax outside of a gas station <laughs> <laughs> it taught me a lot about sales but it was the worst job i've ever had <laughs> this question before. we have definitely okay, it was okay. actually with uh boss ray uh that's yeah right. <laughs> yeah I had, a, had a community intel yeah um yeah so i get from my perspective i'll say uh, working at pure one imports just like uh listen to mariah carey uh, christmas uh non-stop oh, 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 yeah. by the end of it <laughs> you know it's a star boy it's great so they clearly peaked at, at uh, pure one imports oh yeah <laughs> every single job you have after that is doesn't exactly. pure one imports <laughs> i used to look at fries oh, really? for fries electronics i went to school with erica fry i have no idea who that is. The, the daughter yeah. oh okay. it's the fry yeah oh. um so maria thank you so much for having us on uh okay. how can we the zombie community be helpful to, to what you're building well, obviously, we're always looking at great companies at Unicorn Growth. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, as I said, my other passion is to help a lot of founders, especially uh, on their fundraising strategies. Mm -hmm. And this is the other thing. You've got to have a fundraise strategy as part of your business strategy. And you've got to fund your fundraise strategy. We should clip <laughs> that. That's yeah. a clippable, like that. clippable right. moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to put that on the, the YouTube show. Yeah. So yeah. You've, got to, you've got to budget because you're going to need certain experts. You're going to need messaging experts. You're going to need graphic guys. You really have to do that in order to stand out in this. Remember only, what's the latest stats? Less than half point oh point five percent Wow. Last time I looked, of companies actually get funding. Right. <laughs> Right. It's only about less than one percent that get angel funding, and the rest. You Did that number in. drop from twenty twelve? Well, think? I don't think it's dropped from twenty twelve, but uh, that's it's still the pretty near. So it is highly competitive for for um, funding out there. Although I know there's tons of money out there, dry powder, but yeah. it's really gaining that attention. You've got to do go above and beyond. Right. right. So make sure you budget <laughs> for your fundraise. Wise words, wise words. Wise words. I, I keep this on here. And quick shout out to, again, to nakodex.com, uh, who are just brilliant at building the podcast. Get to customers and be sure to tune in next week for more best brains in the day and beyond. Uh, we'll have Simon Lancaster, Omni Ventures, and David Shank from PCB. So thank you for joining. And until next week, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Thank you.